You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello, and welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast. As most of you know, I was previously, for, all, for a little over 10 years, I was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons. And if you want to know why I joined the church, or why I left the church, or any of my experiences in the church, you can go back and check out some of my previous podcast episodes. Uh, but for now, the Reader's Digest version, I joined the church because I thought it was true. I left the church because I realized there was no possible way it could be true. And then, as um, anybody who has been a regular listener of my podcast or anyone who knows me personally knows, that I am a born-again Christian now and have been for quite a few years. And today's episode, I am going to talk about the Mormon temple. I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience in the temple, and I'm going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the temple. So, if you are... I'll try to make this interesting enough so that If you are not LDS, or you've never been LDS, or you don't know anything about the church, that you will still find this interesting. And also, I'm not going to talk about anything specific that goes on within the temple because, uh, not because I think the temple is sacred. I obviously don't. The reason I am not going to talk about anything specific that happens in the temple is because, well, first off, there's no reason for it. Uh, The other reason is that I'm not going to talk about specifics is out of respect for people who are faithful members of the church who feel that it is sacred. And if I were to talk about all these sacred things that are within the temple, I would lose all credibility with anybody who is LDS, and then they would not listen to the rest of what I have to say, thinking that I had just disrespected their religion and was trying to be insulting to them. And that is not my goal. My goal, as always, is to bring people to Christ and to show people that the Bible is the way to Christ and not any other books or any other sources, just the Bible. So with that, we'll get on with it. And so from the time that I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, from they started pushing me toward the temple, and it was pretty much the ultimate goal of every member in the church is to go to the temple. And I was really excited to go to the temple. I read everything I could about the temple. I took a temple preparation class and everything I could. The It was only a couple of months after I joined the church, the first time that I went in the temple, because I went for baptisms for the dead. And, uh, by the way, there is actually no scriptural support for baptisms for the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15.29, that's one I was looking for, and it says, Else why shall, else what shall they do 
which are baptized for the dead, if they are, if the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And it, the LDS Church uses this as support for baptisms for the dead, but that's the only place in all of the Bible that baptisms for the dead is mentioned. And Bible scholars believe that he, that uh, well, there's a few. Most Bible scholars believe that he was talking about washing the dead. Like, why do you wash the dead if they're not going to rise at all? But the LDS Church takes that as as baptisms, and then the but what uh, this is most of the Bible scholars what they say here is possibly a reference to washing of the bodies of the dead. The main idea meant that believers were being baptized to honor in honor of unbaptized deceased believers. So some people believe that they were being baptized for, uh, for people who didn't believe, but there's actually, even though it's possibly there were people who were you know, previously baptizing people for the dead, that was actually, there was, uh, there's actually nowhere in the Bible that it even indicates that, that the Bible supports it. And there is no historical evidence in the Bible or anywhere else that anybody, pagans or Christians or Jews or anybody ever baptized anybody for the dead before the uh, church started doing it in the 1840s under the leadership of Joseph Smith. So, anyhow, so the first time I went to the temple was for baptisms for the dead, and I was told it would be an extremely spiritual experience, and it didn't seem that way to me. It was just uh, more of a rote thing. I was uh, dressed all in white. They they baptize you for twenty or thirty people. They say they they uh, they say your name. They say their name. They say the baptismal prayer. They baptize you. Then they start over and do the whole thing again for a whole bunch of people. Then you do the whole thing. You go into another room and you do the you get confirmed for all those people. Uh, and it was, I was told it was going to be a really spiritual experience, but it didn't seem that to me. It just seemed like doing the same thing over and over. There didn't seem to be anything spiritual about it. But still, I was thinking, well, when I got to the higher levels of the temple. And so I tried to do baptisms of the dead every chance I could because I thought maybe I would see what I was missing. And then I didn't go to actually go to the temple and get my temple endowments until I until I uh, was just before I went on my mission. And this isn't really the topic of today, but the temple recommend questions have changed a lot from the time that I went to the temple to now. And so uh, maybe sometime I'll go into that, but right now I'm not going to go into what the, t the questions are, the changes, but uh, there have been a lot of changes to temple recommend questions. But anyhow, the first time I went to the temple to get my endowments, Everybody talked about how spiritual it would be, and the church and all the members who have been to the temple go out of their way to make sure that nobody knows what exactly they are getting themselves into when they go to the temple. They make sure you go into it knowing nothing about it. And so I went to the temple, and the first thing I did is they told me that I needed to do a washing and anointing and get a new name. And so for the washing and anointing, they uh, this has changed since then, but they had you take off all your clothes and put on as what they call a shield, which is a, a white sheet, basically really thick white sheet with a hole in the middle, and you put it over your head. 
and then they uh, the person doing a temple blessing would touch would uh, touch you in various places to anoint you and I didn't feel like I had been edified or anything I felt like I'd been violated instead and it was extremely weird and then the temple worker then decided that or it was actually the rules the temple worker had to help you put the garments on you didn't put them on yourself and that was even weirder and I thought well you know everybody goes through this and I'm told it's of God so I'll just kind of look past it well then I went to the after that I put on uh, my all-white clothes over the temple garments and then I went to the third session where they give you your new name and I was given the new name and the thing about new names actually is everybody in the church who goes to the temple gets a new name the men are never to reveal their new name to anybody except for temple workers and then the women when they get their new name they can't reveal them to anybody until they get married and then when they get married they have to reveal them to their husband because the idea is that when they get married that after they die in the resurrection that the man will be resurrected first and he will then call his wife forward out of the grave and she'll be resurrected now there's a significant problem with this of course because as I found out later that day uh, my stepfather after the temple he said, hey, I know what your new name is. And I said, yeah, how did you know? I didn't tell you. And he said, well, everybody that go, went through the session that day had, a new, had the same new name, which means even the people that are going through for the deceased, the new name that I was given was also given to the deceased people who were officiated for in that session. So everybody that went through that session had the same new name. And I thought, wait, how does that work? And so that creates a significant problem because say, um, just throwing a random name out there, say that if one of the new names was Michael and a hundred men or a thousand men that day went through the temple and they were given the name Michael and then say there are, and then they only have so many names and they rotate them eventually in temples all over the world. So let's say there are thousands of men with the name Michael as their new name and then out of those Michaels, the possibility that a lot of those Michaels have the same wife, have a wife with the same new name. So, say, out of those few thousand Michaels, a hundred of them have a, have married a woman whose new name is Sarah. And so, when Michael is resurrected and he calls forth Sarah, there's going to be chaos. And so I thought about that, and that was odd. But I also felt really cheated that. I had the same name as lots of other people and I thought well that didn't seem too special but I, again I tried to overlook it and then right after that I went to the next portion of the temple which is called the endowment and it has changed significantly since I went to the, through the temple for the first time but basically there's a it's segmented there's there's a part where you do some rituals and then you watch a video and then do rituals and watch a video and do rituals and watch a video and so forth until you get finished. And there is one point in the, well, a couple of things that bothered me in the temple, but the first thing that really, really bothered me in the endowment session is there is a part where everybody is chanting and 
everybody's dressed in white and well not just white but mostly white and in these special temple clothes and everybody's chanting and I thought to myself holy cow I'm in a cult of course I immediately felt bad for for uh, thinking I was in a cult and I tried to um, apologize to God for thinking that because I thought I'd done wrong by thinking I was in a cult but I couldn't shake the eerie feeling and I couldn't shake the feeling that I was in a cult but I went through it the rest of the session and then at the end of the temple service there is a part where they sit, where they do a prayer and they say it's the true order of prayer and there's a lot of strange things that go on there and and I thought wow this is really weird and they and then they prayed about some really strange things and then at the end of the service my stepfather who went through with me said wow that went man wasn't that spiritual and I was thinking were we in the same experience I don't think so and but I had a lot of questions about it and and people started people outside the church kept telling me oh yeah the temples changed a lot the temples changed they've changed a lot of things but I thought no the temple couldn't have changed because I know that Brigham Young and Joseph Smith had said that and I had been told this in a temple prep class that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both said the temple should never change because it's ordained by God so um, I had talked to my stake president shortly after that and told him about my experience with the temple and said that I felt like I was sinning because I was questioning it and that I didn't feel the spirit in the temple and it seemed really strange. My mission or my stake president said, yeah, that's a normal experience. Most people feel that way. The more you go, the more you'll feel it's of the spirit. And he said, just be glad that you didn't go uh, however many years ago it was when he went. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, they used to have a portion in the temple where instead of just promising that you would never tell anybody what happened in the temple, there is a portion where you would pantomime your own death, uh, portray your slashing your own throat, and saying that's what will happen to you if you ever tell anybody what happens in the temple. And I said, seriously? That, and he said, yeah, that was in the temple, and they took it out. And I'm like, huh. But he said, but I promise you, the more you go to the temple, the more you will feel it's of the Spirit. Well, from that point on to the other... Uh, it was probably oh six months or so from the time I went to the temple to the time I left on a mission, and I or maybe a little longer. I don't remember for sure. I'd have to look at the dates. But I went through the temple every single chance I got. From the time I went first went to the temple to the time I left on a mission, and I still couldn't shake the feeling that it was a cult, and it was just didn't seem spiritual to me. Then I went on my mission, of course, and on my mission, I really didn't have much of a chance to go on my mission. I went, I mean, to the temple. I went to the temple twice the entire time I was on my mission. And the last time I went to the temple on my mission was just a couple months before I went home. And I had realized that there were a couple of changes to the temple. And that really bothered me. And I talked to my mission president about it, and he told me I shouldn't worry about it, that you know, things changed. But then I couldn't help but thinking about what Brigham Young and Joseph Smith said, that the temple's ordained of God and it should never change. And then when I got home from my mission, even more had changed. And I did an endowment session in behalf of someone else 
who had died and they had they had changed the endowments completely and there was no more naked touching you put your garments on before you go through and they and there, and I thought and I should have been happy with the change because it wasn't as creepy but it, it was the change bothered me because I know God never changes the, the Bible says that the Book of Mormon says that God never changes and Joseph Smith and Brigham Young said the temple should never change but it did and so that started to bother me a lot and then now of course the temple has changed so much from the time that I left the church that it is practically not even the same temple ceremony as it was when I went through in the early 2000s. So, uh, but it was a lot of it was the temple that caused me to start questioning the church. And of course, what the Bible says about the temple and what the church said, what the LDS church says about the temple are not quite the same thing. And in the Bible, uh, Jesus was asked what sign he would give. And if you're wondering about the Bible I'm reading, I am reading the, the, church, the LDS church's approved version of the Bible, which is the King James Version that's printed in their, in their um, official publication of the church. And so in John chapter 2, it says in verse 18, then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. And then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up for three days? But he spake to them of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them that they believed that the scripture and the word of Jesus had been said. And so Jesus was saying that he is tear the temple down and that he will, is going to be the temple. He's going to build himself up. He's going to, in three days, he's going to come back. And therefore the temple wasn't really needed. And you might say, well, whoa, 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 where are you getting that? Well, because that verse doesn't explicitly say that, but there's more. In Mark 30, uh, in Mark 15, uh, verses 37 and 38, when Jesus was on the cross, actually it's starting with verse 36. This is, And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed, saying, Give him to drink, saying, Let, uh, saying, Let alone. Let us see whether Elias will come down and take him. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And see, before this time, people didn't really have a status set up so that they could go and approach God directly. They had to approach God through a middleman, through the priest. And even not all priests could go in, into the holies of holies. The, pre, the temple, the Jewish temple, by the way, uh, the church says that the temple was restored back to its original glory the way God had it set up like, like uh, David's temple and Solomon's temple and whatnot. And so that wasn't the case because we know exactly what happened in the temple in antiquity. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what the church does in their temples. And the temple was set up 
uh, broken up. The first part of the temple you got to was the court of the Gentiles. And in the court of the Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish could go in. And then the next one was the court of the women, where only Jew, well, any Jewish women could go in that portion, but no Gentiles. And then the next one, uh, the next uh, court was where the Jewish men could go in. And then there was for the priest. And then the next section, which was the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go in, and there was only ever one high priest at a time. And the only high, the high priest would go in to do the on the Day of Atonement to atone for the nation, and he would climb under this really thick curtain. You climb under there, and they tie a rope on his leg, and he'd climb under there, and he would go under there, and he would put blood on the on the altar, on the mercy seat, uh, to atone for the sins of the people. And then if anything happened to him, if he wasn't worthy, they believed that he would die and they'd have to pull him out. And so that's why they tied a rope on his foot. Well, when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn, which signified that we no longer needed to go to a priest or anyone else, that Jesus is our mediator between God and man, and we don't need any priest, which also shows how ridiculous, or I guess not ridiculous, how unnecessary the LDS priesthood is, because first off, it doesn't match what was in the Bible, but also uh, Jesus became our mediator and the great high priest. And so, so uh, that is, so because of that, we don't need a, a high priest or any kind of a priest to, to be our mediator between God and man. We go directly to Jesus, and Jesus uh, is our advocate with the Father. So, anyhow, with all of that, once I learned all these things, I thought, man, I just, there's just no way this church is true. But I actually realized that the temple wasn't of God before I realized that the church was not of God. And it kind of went downhill from there. And the reason I mention this is maybe there are people watching this or listening to this that have never gone to the temple. And so this has given them a little bit of an insight as to what it is. And maybe there's people who are not LDS who are listening to this or have friends. Or pe maybe even people who are LDS are listening to this and wondering why uh, I don't believe in the temple or and why specifically the uh, that the LDS temple is unbiblical. But another thing, too, uh, that's important to point out is that all the whole temple, uh, the there's the two main purposes of the temple is to so we can do works so that we can be saved, and so that we can do works for other people so that they can be saved. But that is not in line with the Bible, and throughout the Bible, the Bible teaches that we are not saved because we do works. We do good works because we are saved. Because when we're saved, when we're born again, we become a new creature in Christ. And as a new creature in Christ, we want to please God and we do the things he's asked us to do. So it's not our works that saves us. But we are gladly doing these works because we have been saved. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 says, 
or actually 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, and then in verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in good works, in which hath been, hath before, sorry, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so even the good works that we do, we can't even take credit for those because God has ordained those good works for us to do before he even created us. And so uh, we are saved by faith through grace. Or we are, saved, we are saved by grace through faith is what I meant. And nothing we do can save us. Our good works are just filthy rags. But Jesus didn't save us because we earned it or because we deserve it. He saved us because in his mercy, he wanted to do it. We're saved by his merits, not ours. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe uh, to my YouTube channel and uh, click the bell so you'll get notified uh, whenever a new video is posted. If you are listening to this on iTunes or Google Play, uh, please leave a review. And if this is your first time listening, uh, subscribe to this podcast, share it with friends. And again, thanks for listening and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.